Good morning. This morning, we're reading from the English Standard Version, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. The Sermon on the Mount is about a greater righteousness, a righteousness that exceeds our best attempts at religion. It's a righteousness that you must have in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. And during this segment of the Sermon on the Mount, we've been seeing how this greater righteousness guides us as we live in a world that is contrary to it. And last week, Jesus showed us how we need discernment for this world in how we deal with conflict. Today, we're going to see that living in this world as Christ's disciples, we also need discernment in how we pray. As citizens of this world, we need discernment to know how to pray in this world and for it. When you see your neighbors uh, accumulating possessions or you see your coworkers accumulating promotions, what should you be asking God for? When you get sick or when you're unemployed or when you're overworked, what should you ask God for? When we see injustice, as we have this week in our nation and in our area, when you see unfair bias, when you see abuse, for what response should you ask? In your prayer life, how should you ask God to respond to injustice and oppression and conflict? As citizens of this world, what should believers be praying about? Well, we already know from the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, which we looked at a few weeks ago, uh, we know what Jesus said. We, we should be praying this, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we looked at what all of that entails. So you can go back a few weeks to our two sermons, our recording, two recordings on the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. Uh, so today we're not going to focus specifically on what to pray for. Today we're going to focus on who you're praying to. Who are you praying to? Jesus calls him your Father in heaven. Your Father in heaven. This is getting very personal. You really have to ask yourself three questions. Do I believe that God is good? Do I believe that God knows what is good for me? And do I believe that God intends to be good to me? Ask yourself those three questions. Do I believe that God is good? Do I believe that he knows what's good for me? And do I believe that he intends to be good to me? If your answer to those questions is yes, then my friend, based on today's amazing passage, you have every reason to be confident in your prayer life. If your answer to those questions is no, or I don't know, I'm not sure, then your prayer life is going to be tedious, it's going to be unfulfilled, and your prayer life is going to be a constant struggle. 
The idea for today is very simple. A good God gives good things to those who know he is good. Another way of saying that is, dividing it up into three smaller ideas, God is good, God does give good things, and we can know that he is good. God is good. God gives good things. And you can know, you can have assurance, you can be sure that he is good. That he means good for you. That he knows what's good for you. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So first of all, Jesus absolutely, without exception, believed in the goodness of God. If anyone who ever lived had authority to say, God is good, it it was the man who said, I and the Father are one. Now, if if you're not a Christian, if you're not a a believer in the God of the Bible, or, or if you're not convinced that God is good, I'm glad you're here with us today. And and I would at least encourage you to see what Jesus said about the God of the Bible. And Jesus says in verses 7 and 8 of Matthew chapter 7, Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. You see, Jesus was so convinced in the goodness of God that he urges us three times to ask God for things. Ask, seek, knock. These are three different ways of saying the same thing. Ask your heavenly Father for what you need. One scholar put it this way, be persistent in your prayer life because there is a promise. Jesus says you will receive, you will find, the door will be open to you. In other words, God will respond. So be persistent and be confident in your prayers. And if you're not yet convinced in the goodness of God based on what Jesus has said so far, listen to what he says next. He goes back to one of his famous lesser to greater style arguments. He's done this before in the Sermon on the Mount. Lesser to grade, greater argument. He's going to use a small, uh, a lesser illustration and then a greater illustration to make his point. He says this in verses 9 through 11. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Now remember, Jesus Jesus is preaching along the Sea of Galilee. And in that region, now of course, for the ancient people, bread was a staple food. It was the staple food. But what else would you find in plenty in the region of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee? You'd find plenty of fish. Bread and fish, those were the staples if you lived in the area where Jesus is preaching his famous Sermon on the Mount. And his hearers would have understood that that stones could be mistaken for simple, crude loaves of bread. His hearers would have also understood that a snake could be mistaken. Now listen to this. A snake could be mistaken for the eel-like catfish certain species of catfish that was indigenous to the Galilee region. So stones could be mistaken for 
crude loaves of bread, and a certain eel-like catfish species could be mistaken for a snake, or vice versa, turn that around. Okay, so, so here's the lesser illustration. He says to us, you're far from perfect parents, right? You are corrupt parents, and, and you know how to give good things to your children, and you don't intentionally deceive your children. You, make, make, you may make mistakes in what you give your children, but you're not trying to deceive them. Okay, so here's the greater illustration. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things, right? How much more will your Father in heaven never deceive you and never make a, never make a mistake regarding what you need? regarding how he responds to what you ask of him, right? God is never going to say to you, uh, look, uh, you know, I- I'm sorry, it, it looked like a fish. I, <laughs> I didn't know. Uh, parents make mistakes, right? We make mistakes with what we give our children, even if we mean well. You, you may say to your 13-year-old child, I thought it was a good idea to give you a smartphone when you turned 13, but I guess I was wrong. Turns out it wasn't a good idea. We make mistakes all the time as well-intending parents, and, and even, even our motives are mixed when we are generous to our own children. But it's not like that with God. He doesn't give with mixed intentions, and He doesn't make mistakes when He responds to our prayer requests. What assurance. What a gift from the Messiah to know in no uncertain terms that God wants us to ask Him for good things that He intends to provide us with. Now, maybe you're still not convinced in the goodness of God. Maybe you're using the Charlie Brown argument, which is to say, I got a rock. Or Charlie Brown looks in his his trick-or-treat bag, and all the other kids are getting candy, and he looks in his bag, and he goes, I got a rock. And maybe that's the argument you're using. You look at your life, and you see lots of stones and lots of serpents. And you go, how can God be good? Okay, good question. What does the Bible actually say about the good things that God gives? Well, the Bible is the Bible is beautifully littered with evidence of the good things that a good God gives from Genesis to Revelation, but just specifically, let's look at the big thing, the greatest thing. Luke's gospel also records teachings like this. And in Luke chapter 11 verse 10, verse 13, Luke eleven thirteen, 13, Jesus says, so, so if, if very similar passage, very similar wording, but, but there's a twist. Jesus says, you know, if, if you who are corrupt parents know how to give good things to your kids, how much more will your father in heaven, listen to this, will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You must understand this. When you become a Christian, when you when you begin to trust in Jesus Christ and you follow him, God doesn't save the best for last. He gives you the best first. He gives you himself right away. When you put your faith in Jesus, God gives you himself. And the Apostle Paul believed this and said in Ephesians chapter 1 to Christians, he said, when you believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee, here's more promise language, 
The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So there's a dynamic here, which is scholars call it already and not yet. There's a dynamic here where you already have God, but you haven't seen all of his blessings fully realized in this world, in this life. See, the Bible never promises a life path that is stone-free and serpent-free. But God's constant presence in you, with you, is something you have while you navigate your way through that path. There will be stones, there will be serpents, but God is saying, you have me. You have me as you walk along this journey. You don't have all of God's good blessings yet, but you have him. And in prayer, then, the Christ follower doesn't expect all the things in fullness. When the Christ follower asks their Heavenly Father for good things in their prayers, the Christian doesn't expect to receive all things in their fullness in this life. We ask for deliverance from sin, but we know that we're still going to be tempted. We ask for money to pay our bills, Um, but we know that our expenses are still going to go up with inflation, and we know that companies fold up and jobs move, and we lose our jobs, and we take pay cuts. We seek justice and reconciliation in a broken world, but we know that prejudice and ignorance and fear will linger in a fallen and broken world. So we ask God for good things, knowing that we will never see them in their fullness in this lifetime. Now the flip side to this, the positive side of this this is that, yes, the, the world is a dark place. Yes, life is hard, but God is good. God is good, amen? And so Martin Martin Luther King Jr. had an important thing to say about this flip side, this positive dynamic to the situation. He wrote, We must never accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. Never accept finite disappointment, although it's going to happen, but never lose infinite hope. He went on to say, Only in this way shall we live without the fatigue of bitterness and the drain of resentment. You see, the more you focus on, as Jesus put it, worldly treasures in previous verses, the more you focus on, the more you allow your eyes, your mind's eye, the devotion of your heart to focus on worldly treasures, the things that are bound to this life and to this earth, the more you focus on all of that, the more you're going to notice stones and serpents in your life. But the more you focus on heavenly treasures, the things that cannot be taken away from you, the things that Jesus says truly endure, the priorities of the kingdom of God, the more you focus on those things, the more you're going to notice God's presence, God's constant goodness in your life. Yeah, the stones and the serpents will still be there, but they'll be small to you. What will be large is the goodness of God. You want to see good things from a God who is good? Then pursue Him. 
That's what Jesus has told us again and again in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You want to see good things provided from a good God? Pursue Him. Ask for Him. Seek for Him. Knock on His door. And the good gifts will follow. As David said in Psalm 34, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And David said, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Notice it does not say, those who seek the Lord lack nothing they ask for. No, it says they lack no good thing. John Calvin wrote, we must not think that God takes no notice of us when he does not answer our wishes. For he has a right to distinguish what we actually need. The rule of prayer must be sought from the word of God, for we are not competent judges of so weighty a matter. He who desires to approach God with the conviction that he will be heard must learn to restrain his heart from asking anything that is not agreeable to God's will. Of course God gives good things, but how about you let him define what is good? Evil, now let's, let's be honest here, Jesus calls us evil. He did it. He called you and I evil. Evil parents. Evil people. Corrupt. Far from perfect. Evil, actually, is a default setting in the human heart that doubts God. Essentially, that's what evil is. You may be offended that Jesus calls you evil. But actually, you don't have to be a villain. You don't have to be a tyrant. You don't have to be a pervert to qualify as someone who is evil. All you need, all you need is to doubt, is to doubt God. That's the essence of evil. Every horrible thing, every cruel injustice, every selfish act, all comes from a heart that at its core will not trust the God of the universe. And it's really why Jesus has used the image of stones and serpents. Because you see, he knew, he knew that you and I assume that God cannot be trusted. That's why he had to tell us, he's not going to give you a serpent, he's not going to give you a stone. Because he knew that our default setting was to doubt in the goodness and reliability of God. You can't, you cannot desire a person that you cannot trust, right? You don't want to be with somebody that, that you cannot trust, and, and you're certainly not confident around them. So in our contempt for God, we ask Him for things selfishly and begrudgingly. And, and in our distrust of God, we ask Him for things timidly. We half-ask for things, um, or we don't ask for them at all. And then, and then we don't get what we ask for, or we don't, you know, we're, we're unhappy with the results that God provides or, or doesn't provide, and so we conclude what we really already assumed in the first place, uh, that God isn't good and that God can't be trusted. And you know, really, it's a circular argument. It, it, it's really just a self-fulfilling prophecy. You conclude in the end what you believed in the beginning, that God isn't good and He can't be trusted. And, and actually, James responded to that by saying, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive 
because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Friends, what changes our prayers and what changes our perspective is an accurate view of the God of the Bible. To which James again describes him, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James was was telling us what his Lord and, and brother Jesus showed him. That God is not a parent who manipulates you. That God is not a friend who betrays you in the end. That God is not a politician who can't deliver on a promise that he made. And the greatest proof of God's unchanging, unshifting goodness is the greatest gift that came from above. His one and only Son. You see, the proof of our wickedness, the proof of our mistrusting hearts is that we rejected God's good and perfect gift. We crucified him. He's not what we asked for. And so we rejected him. That's the proof of our wickedness. But the greatest proof of God's goodness is that Jesus forgave his enemies and died for them and then rose from the dead to restore them into a right relationship with him and his heavenly father. The crucifixion is proof that you and I rejected God's goodness. The resurrection is proof that God said, I don't care, I want you anyway. You can be in a right relationship with me regardless of what you've done and no matter what you've done. You've mistrusted me forever. I have been generous to you forever. And when we look at Jesus on the cross and when we look at him coming out of the grave saying to his disciples who all deserted him, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. John chapter 21. John chapter 20, sorry. When we look at Jesus we realize there is a man, there is a human being who must have possessed an alien goodness, a goodness, a goodness that sin and death itself could not defile or eradicate. After all, Jesus did say in John chapter 14, he who has seen me has seen the Father. A good God gives good things to those who know He is good, who find that He is good by looking at and knowing and following and seeking Jesus. It is the ultimate way and the only sure way to know and trust in the goodness of God is to draw close to Jesus Christ when you lose everything, or when everything seems like it has become unstable in your life, you are blessed if you turn to Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Jesus. Blessed are those who ask for Him, who seek for Him, 
who knock on his door because they will receive him. They will find him. He will open his door to them. How did the old hymn put it? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, right? The stones and the serpents will grow strangely dim in the light of the face of Jesus Christ. Or as the spiritual put it, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. You want to know that God is good? Ask for Jesus. Seek for Jesus. Knock on his door. Persistently knock on his door again and again. Right? Earthly parents, earthly judges and politicians, they eventually give up if you're persistent. They eventually give you what you want because they're tired of being bugged because of the pressure that you put on them. And Jesus says, how much more will your father who is good and loves you respond when you seek him persistently knowing that he is going to do good by you? Even if you don't get what you ask for. Jesus is proof that he gives us what we truly need. He gives us the best things. He gives us himself. Give yourself to seeking after him. And I promise you, you will find him. He will reveal himself to you. Let's pray. Our God, we confess to you that we search for many things and we ask for many things and often they are not the things that are good. They are not the things that are the best. Thank you that despite all of that, you gave us, you gave us what we truly needed. You gave us yourself, even when we didn't look for you, even when we didn't ask for you, even when we rejected your son, you gave us yourself. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You are good. Show us your goodness. May we taste and see that you are truly good. Amen.